Expedition 44 here again with Matt and Ryan. Thank you guys for joining us. We are in a series on women's roles in the church. It also touches base on a little bit of marriage and family and things like that, but we're really trying to stay focused to Just women's role in the church here. So we did our introductory video. We are going to introduce you to two different ways of thinking, a complementarian way of thinking and an egalitarian way of thinking. We went through and kind of summarized Genesis 1. We basically stated that throughout the Old Testament, it seems like there's an equal, equal perspective. And, you know, if we were doing points on a wall for who seems to outweigh the other, we're going to give one point to egalitarians mm -hmm. here yeah. because it just doesn't seem like in Genesis 3 or 2 that there's going to be a lot of weight if you're just interpreting the Hebrew scripture mm -hmm. to say that men should, you know, outweigh women, so yeah. to speak. And so I'm also going to back up and I'm going to say that both views are going to kind of look at the beginning as God's ideal and the end as God's ideal, meaning Eden and the recreated heavens and earth. And everything that happens in the middle is mucked up and God's working through it to bring restoration and order back to the original picture that he had. So in the middle is where we fall today. We yep. fall in New Testament, Second Temple, Pauline authorship type of stuff. And we're going to look at this and say, what were they thinking in terms of headship or submission? Yep, so we're going to look right here at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, uh, 2 to 16. And this is the head coverings passage. And really what we're going to concentrate on in this is headship because he uses that. And um, the supposed idea that women need to have a symbol of authority, a man, over them yeah. if they're doing stuff in the church. So pause the video, read very carefully 1 Corinthians uh 11, 2 through 16, and we're just going to outline some important things in there. Yep, so the first thing um, we get right in verse 3, I want, to, uh, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So one thing we got to note here, and which makes this, I've heard, is one of the most, one of the hardest passages to interpret and to translate in Greek, is because there's a lot of words that have kind of dual meanings. This is a tough one and it doesn't matter if you're a complementarian or a egalitarian. This is just o overarching. This is a tough section of scripture. I don't know anybody that wouldn't struggle with saying what does this mean? Yep. So uh, we also have to note that uh, woman and wife are the same word in Greek and man and husband are the same word in Greek. So as you're yeah. talking about all men and all women and how they relate to each other as you just talking about how husband and wives relate to one another. Yeah. So that's one question that we need to ask here. Um, the other one is uh, we're gonna have to dive into defining head. Yeah, let's do that right away. Yep. Let's, let's just jump right in there. So the traditional word of head is going to be authority. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like we get the, uh, the head of accounting or the head of finance, the head of production, uh, the head of the company. Uh, we think of the boss. When, yeah. when we think of that, um, if Paul wanted to use the, the um, concept of authority here, um, he would have used a different word. Kephale is the word that he uses here. Yeah. Um, but if he wanted to use authority, he would have used arche or exousia, which are the two words that can mean authority or rulership in Greek. And also, according to Greek linguists, this word kephale during the time of Paul didn't have a meaning of authority. Yeah. So... 
couple options that complementarians have to take is either Paul created this meaning of authority by using kephale because it didn't exist as authority right. at this time, or they have to reject that Paul wrote this letter because it didn't come into that meaning until over a hundred years after Paul. So if you're complementarian, that's what you're working through. You're, mm -hmm. you're having to do something with it because it's a little problematic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, which one is the best option? Did he not write it? Did somebody else write it? If, if somebody else wrote it, then maybe it doesn't agree, you know, mm -hmm. and again, that's going to go into problematic in your theology if you yep. have to and source it that way and, that and <laughs> everything else. And so did he recreate a new version of this word? I don't think so because we don't get a whole lot of that for another 150, 200 years. If mm -hmm. he's going to recreate it, you're going to hear the early, early church the fathers re right after yeah. him reiterating that. And we don't see that either. So when I when you go back to, again, interpretation laws or hermeneutics, you say, what's the easiest way to go? And, and to, to understand that is to define the word differently mm -hmm. than the way it has been the rest of the time, and that doesn't really make sense. Yeah, so kephale during this time is better defined as source or head, the literal thing on top of your, and it was used as a metaphor. Yeah. And not like a literal like concrete thing like authority. And complementarians don't like this. They don't they're, like metaphor. They're, they're not going to want to give any kind of metaphorical mm -hmm. idea of what's going on here, but the problem is in the New Testament, we, we see these parables and we mm -hmm. see these explanations of things and they work together as puzzles and we're going to get that sense here. Yeah, and it's really a familial term. It, it's a thing about family is yeah. what this, this headship thing means. So when we look at Christ as the head of man, that's meaning that Jesus is both the creator, but he's also the second Adam. So all mankind finds its source in Christ. Yeah. And sense. so it's it's familial and it's creator. Yeah. So that's that's one thing that that we have. And then when we look at the head of man or the head of I believe it's head head of man is or the head of woman is man is the next one. So that's also meaning source because woman came from man. Yeah. We, we just talked about in our last video right. that that women came from man. But Paul reverses this down in verse 12 if you look at that. He levels the playing field saying every man since Adam has come from woman. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so we get the mutuality there. Right. And then here's the tricky one. If you're going to take authority for this next one, you're going to get in, uh, out in this some sticky This is really stuff. important. Yep. The head of Christ is God. So is God the boss or the authority of Christ? Is he over... Is he over the other entities of the Trinity. So if you're a complementarian and you're saying that the word head means authority mm -hmm. over or to, you know, have any kind of, you know, different role bearing images that are going to be higher than, it's going to get really problematic mm -hmm. in your understanding of the Trinity. And yep. that is way more heretical yep. than taking the other understanding of the version of head. So in the early councils against the Arians, this is how the Arians, the heretics, interpreted this verse was with authority um, and saying that there was a structure of authority within the Godhead. And this was ruled as a heresy in yeah. the early councils called eternal subordination of the sun. That was it, actually, there's modern evangelicals that take this view. Wayne Grudem yeah. and Bruce Ware in their systematic theology books both take this view as... Um, basically their rooting of complementarianism in the Trinity. Yeah. So 
I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I, I, in fact, that's one of the reasons why years ago when I went to Moody Bible Institute, which systematic theology was, you know, overarching there, mm -hmm. I couldn't deal with it. I yeah. had to throw it out because it's an inconsistent understanding of the Trinity. Yeah. So when we actually look at the head of Christ as God, it's talking about the incarnation, yeah. that Christ's source, where he comes from, is the Godhead. He came as as Jesus in the incarnation. So we're talking each of these about a family source in every single aspect. Right. So um, so then when we look at head, a lot of people will go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Yep. Um, where we have the husband is the head of the wife, the Messiah is the head of the church, and he, that's the Messiah, is the savior of the body. Yeah. But it's interesting here that Paul's using the literal head here as a metaphor there. Right, right. And, it's the, kind of more literal sense, And again, yeah. if he wanted to use authority there, he could, would have said he is the authority of the body. Yeah. But he defines head here as savior, the one that provides. So yeah. a head takes in food and nourishes the body. It takes in air and provides life to the body. And that's what he's saying about the husband-wife relationship and Jesus' relationship to the church. Yeah. It's not about authority. It's about provision. Right. So now there's another interesting thing, and what we've kind of done is more of a scholarly analysis on this of getting into the Greek and things like that. But there's also another part to this that is more of a let's call it philosophical argument. And there's sometimes where I I hear things, and this is one of them where I think scholarly, biblically, scripturally, sola scriptura, whatever you want to say, like these. These arguments don't hold much water. And we got into this a little bit on our understanding of hell. We had Chris Data on the show mm -hmm. and you know he would he was one to say, Well, I don't even like to have that conversation. Greg Boyd, who we also interviewed, had the same kind of flavor of let's mm -hmm. just let's just talk about the things that are really weighty. If they're not mm -hmm. if they don't have a whole lot of uh, reasoning, yeah. then let's just leave them up. But this is this is one case where I think it's worth talking about. So when you look at this word the end of it kind of has a relationship to another word named phalanx. Now, some people, this is where it's arguable, are going to say, man, that's a, that's a stretch. And I would agree with that. That is a stretch. But they sound similar and they actually had similar meanings or understandings in a Greco-Roman empire. So if you ever heard the word phalanx, you'll understand that it's like a triangular shape that the Roman soldiers would make with their shields. It was essentially like an early tank, tank yeah. and they would push their way through. Now, if you're thinking of this analogy, you have the phalanx and that's at the front line of the battlefield, then way back is going to be the king or yep. commander, the prize possession. Mm -hmm. yep. But they're connected. They're part of the same family, so mm -hmm. to speak. Now, what's really interesting is the very front of a phalanx is the head of the phalanx. If you've ever been into any kind of like airsoft or paintballing or you've watched war movies, Somebody says, you take the lead, and that means the front person the going out the head. You, you head this one up. Does that mean you're in charge of everything? No, the commanding officer would never be there, so to speak. And so philosophically, when you look at this, the head of a phalanx is the one that's going to take the hit, take yep. the brunt of it. And so when you, when you get into this 
language of Paul primarily talking about husband-wife relationship, that's where he's going. Is the, the head is going to take the brunt of the hit and things like that as they would in the phalanx. And mm -hmm. Paul is always using military language. Yeah. There's, there's no question in my mind that when he's saying this, people are immediately making that connection, almost to the point that he probably needed no more explanation for people to receive it that way. Yet, 2,000 years later, we're not in a Greco-Roman world. We have no idea how war and a phalanx works or, you know, the treasured possession in the back. And so in our Western minds, we interpret this very differently than what the people culturally probably would have gotten out of it. Mm -hmm. That's the philosophical argument. Yeah. Uh, when we look back at Ephesians uh, 5.21, he starts out the whole section on headship of mutual submission, saying husbands submit to your wives and wives to your husbands out of reverence for Christ. Yeah. So it, it uses the analogy of the man is the head and provides for the body, which is the wife, and they're supposed to work mutually together. The body also provides for the head. Yeah. And so it's unity and it's care for one another, and that's the headship metaphors, those two of source and actual literally literal care for one another. Yeah. Um, and so we need to keep that in context when we get then to talking about head coverings and uh, um, authority in the, the church. So this series is on women's roles in mm -hmm. the church. It's not necessarily on mm -hmm. the women's relationship with her husband, with her family yeah. and things like that. But I have linked in this playlist a video that we did on Colossians 3. We get into house codes and some other things like that. Mm -hmm. If you're interested, it does play into this discussion. They mm -hmm. are complementary discussions yep. and so one is going to feed on the other you can't come to this understanding on one and not with the other because they're intricately linked in the way that they are theologically given and so at this time this is a good spot to just kind of maybe even pause the video and go watch that one to mm -hmm. complete this thought before on yep, on we move over yep all right, so the next part we need to get into is head coverings. So we talked um, about, and you guys should have read the beginning there of uh, 1 Corinthians 11. And so many complementarians believe that head covering was a cultural symbol of submission under the authority of a man. Yeah. And in this case, Paul would be saying to them that women in the church are to submit to male authority, and that's why they need to wear a head covering and so Grecan Greco-Roman rule this is a weird passage mm -hmm. this gets a little weird and there's a lot of things we're going to bring into it but you have to remember that this is perhaps the very heart of a mucked up world yes. this this is Israel's been given over to exile. They're expecting a Messiah. Everybody who is thinking God is kind of in a, a whirlwind or a mucked up place. You know, Jesus has come back. They're looking for the second return imminently. Mm -hmm. I mean, they think he's going to come back any moment for them. They're also looking at this massive destruction of 70 AD that we know later is coming mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But all of this is building right now. And so what is the place of a woman in the Greco-Roman Empire? Yeah, it, it's interesting. So um, what Paul says in First uh, Corinthians 11 verse 10 is that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of angels. So what does that mean? So <laughs> egalitarians here will note that a symbol of isn't in the text here. It's yeah. added in. Remember when we talked about hell about the punishment coming away from or it, that the punishment is 
being away from the presence of the Lord. So bring up a good interlinear. Mm -hmm. um, just Google interlinear here and, yep. and you're going to read it and you're probably going to see a dot, dot, dot. And that's going to denote that it's not here. Yeah. So what really this says, and when you look at the Greek grammar, so the authority of and the head are both in the grammatical feminine, which means that they connect to the women having authority over their own head and not being under the authority of a man. Yeah. So almost exactly the opposite, opposite of the way that we would just seemingly read it if we opened up a Bible and read it. Yeah. And so then we got to look at like what were head coverings in this in this culture. And so a head covering obviously it covered one's hair. Yep. Um, and hair was seen, uh, especially on the women, as the most sexual part of their body. Yeah. And so when they would let their hair down, usually a married woman would only do that in front of her husband. Um, if you let it down in public, it meant you were sexually available or that you were a prostitute. So do you remember the story when the woman comes in to wash Jesus's feet and you get this idea that she's lets her hair down and using it and it seems like the owner is appalled, like this should never, why are you letting this happen? Why are you entertaining mm -hmm. it? And that's the idea that you get is this was a se sexually mm -hmm. provocative thing that was happening. Yeah, and during the, like this time here, um, we see that um, the married women would veil yeah. or would cover their heads. But there were laws that prohibited uh, female slaves, uh, prostitutes or former prostitutes, yeah from being able to cover their heads. Yeah. So what what is Paul saying here? So to wear a veil or to wear a head covering was a sign of modesty and chastity. And there were people that were considered unclean or prostitutes out there, um, loose women that yeah. weren't allowed to. So if these people are getting saved, coming into the church, outside the church doors, they're not allowed to cover their heads because it's a symbol of shame. Yeah. And they're coming in. Paul is saying, you all get to cover your heads because we're all one in Christ. It's it's kind of like a, a reset button uh -huh. again. It's a start over. It's, it's that we're not going to take anybody's past because God has made you renewed creation. Mm -hmm. Sons and daughters of God, no gender there. Yeah. Um, you're all equal in, in, in the eyes of the church. And so come in and do this. Now, there's more here. Yeah. So... Um, when, when we get here, it's talking about the hair is woman's glory. And so he's talking about public modesty and honor. So even these people that are dishonored get honor in the church. Yeah. Um, so when Paul addresses women in this passage, um, it's not about being subordinate to male authority. So when he says that women um, have authority over their own head, Paul is giving them the, the choice to and the obligation to people who don't have authority over their own head because men make the rules outside the doors yeah. to take authority and cover their heads. Yeah, there's also a few other things that play into this. There's all kinds of, and we're going to get to this mm -hmm. later, but I'll just, you know, kind of reiterate it. There's, there's temples where these sexual prostitution is going mm -hmm. on and things like that. And sometimes women would you know, adorn themselves maybe in their hair or other ways that we're going to identify them as perhaps being sexually available to everything else. And in some places, even shaving their heads was going to be linked to this. And so this is really important that when they come into church, that Paul doesn't want men trying to figure out where they're at. They're yeah. just saying like, you know, I want you to all be equal in the eyes of God. Yep. Yeah. So that, that's a big thing. Um, so yeah, for, like you said, for a woman to have a shaved head was 
in some cults they did this there yeah. that we know but in others you would shave uh, an adulteress or a prostitute's head as a thing of shame so and they wouldn't let them cover their heads right and so he's saying that cover your heads so that, that we're all equal that we are all one in Christ. So. so if you had a shaved head in some places, that meant that you had received like the scarlet letter yep. of, of adultery uh -huh. or something like that, and that you were supposed to keep your head shaved. And so when you came into the church, it would be the time where you were actually kind of brought back to equality restored, yep. and restored. Yeah. Um, and then for the men, he says it's shameful for men to have long hair in the passage. In the cult of Dionysius, the men all had really long yeah. hair, and it, it was a sign of basically being effeminate. Um, so he's kind of telling men, men to be men in some ways, and but also for them to un pray with their head uncovered um, and have short hair because this cult also, they covered their hair. So he's kind of telling the men, don't look like you're part of a cult. Yeah. He's like, he's like be separate, be set apart. So the overall message through this whole thing to, to not get off or make a small yeah. doctrine of yeah. this or whatever is just to simply say that as recreated sons and daughters of God, we're going to come together and we're going to mm -hmm. do away with things that in the world are going to speak against that. And we're going to be together and like-minded mm -hmm. in the presence of yeah, God mutually. as we worship him yeah. mutually. Um, yeah, so then the interesting line is because of angels. Yes. <laughs> so what does no, that mean? A lot of people don't know what to do with this, but if you take a Deuteronomy 32 worldview, go back and think of Genesis 1-4, to the sons of God and daughters of men event, and if hair is sexual and hair and head coverings is supposed to be modesty, maybe Paul is seeing that if you're you need to be modest towards men and modest towards angels. <laughs> now, <laughs> I am convinced that Paul doesn't think that the Deuteronomy 32 thing is over. Uh -huh. He's constantly talking about powers and principalities. He makes this reference which if you're not going to take it this way then how on earth there's yeah. nowhere to put it, you mm -hmm. know? And so, you know, as he says this it, he's still thinking that this could be a problem. Mhm. Mm yeah, and the last kind of problem in this passage is that woman was created for man. Yeah. So we get often it's assumed that woman is created for man means that God created woman to be a subordinate helper. Yeah. And we've kind of already gone through the Genesis thing, so go back and watch that if you didn't right. catch that yet. <laughs> but three things contribute to the way we need to reinterpret that. Now I want you to start going back to that philosophical phalanx conversation that, that we had, and that is that the prized possession would never be on the front line. Mm -hmm. So women was created for man also supports the phrase in this chapter that woman is the glory of man or the glory yeah, of humanity. So there's already a reference, a connection that the church um, is going to be the prized possession here. Mm -hmm. And so this is the the treasured possession, God's portion, he mm -hmm. describes it as in the Old Testament. And it's the same way of thinking of the relationship of the bride and groom, mm -hmm. that one is the treasured possession of the other, the yeah. bride of the groom. Yeah, and that glory can also mean beauty. Obviously, yeah. women are more beautiful than men. Right. <laughs> so they're, they're the crowning jewel of, of kind of humanity, but men and women together. The second thing is all this needs to be interpreted through Genesis 2, yeah. and which says that man is not complete without woman. Woman isn't complete without man. They yeah. mutually need one another, so it's not a thing of hierarchy, though women may have more beauty. We need each other. Yeah. Now, there's another weird thing that's worth spending some time on in that 
a woman should have authority over her own head. Yep, and that's the way that that should be translated instead of a woman should have a symbol of authority over her head, yeah. which most people take to be a man, which we just went over isn't in the text. Yeah. So if woman is the glory of man is actually a positive evaluation of woman and indicates high status because she's both the image of God and has additional beauty, um, since she is that, it, uh, she the virtue of the fact that she was created for for man. Yeah. What we're seeing here with these three things is the woman is the glory of man is actually a positive evaluation, and it echoes back to, like you said, Gen Genesis two, where and when we look at there when Eve is created, what's Adam's response is that he was thrilled with her yeah. and. <laughs> He needed a helper, an equal partner, and he knew it, which is really the simple face value reading yeah. of Genesis 2. Yeah, there's not really a hierarchy, hierarchy yep. or anything in mm -hmm. there. Now, there's a few things on hair that probably needs to be said before we just bring a conclusion onto it. Yeah. Um, we've, we've touched on this a little bit already that, you know, shaved head was kind of, you know... Yeah, shameful. Looked, looked like that. Long hair been... on men was shameful. Yeah. So he's telling people to, you know... Don't uh, don't try to be the opposite sex. Kind yeah, of. <laughs> yeah. So again, let, what, what is the major message of, of the text that we're looking at? It's really uh, an idea of saying when we come before the Lord, like we're mm -hmm. all going to be equal. I hate to use any yeah. other word, but yeah. like that's that's the way I'd read it. Yeah. Of like you know, put everything beside you, and we're going to come here so that nothing takes away from. Yeah the value of God, and in order to do that, maybe a head covering is yeah. needed. And Paul isn't saying that men and women are the same gender. Yeah. He, he's saying that, yeah, women are created certain ways, and men are too, but yeah. mutually authority-wise, right. there's not a sense of hierarchy there, so head is about source and not authority. Now, before we reel this in and bring a conclusion to it, there's one yeah. other thing I just need to kind of go through a little bit here, and that's that in the Bible, it was the whole Bible wasn't necessarily written like a letter mm -hmm. to you. Yeah. You know, and yeah. sometimes we think about this wrongly. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking at this and you're saying, this was this was written to a specific time and place and people, can I take all of that and apply it to me? Well, some of it might be applicable mm -hmm. to me, but there's gonna be times where you can't. So I always like to go back to kind of the Joshua one and two yeah. thing of like, at the beginning, God makes this just, unbelievable covenant with Joshua and, and basically says you're invincible and you do get the idea that he could walk out into the battle and there'd be spears and arrows mm -hmm. flying everywhere and he would be invincible he yeah. would just walk through it now can I say that if I get called up into another tour here in Iraq can I just say I'm claiming that for my life I'm invincible I'm gonna be charging out against the Taliban what would happen You'd probably die. I'd probably die immediately. <laughs> and, and I'd say, God, I thought you said I was invincible, you know? And the guy goes, yeah, you really took that one out of context. And so <laughs> you got to be careful here that as we try to interpret these and apply them to other things, some of it was intended for us and some of it really isn't. Mm -hmm. It's just given for us to learn from. And so this is one particularly that you need to be careful in what you're going to apply to your life and what you're not going to apply. Yep, so some of the conclusions here, like you said, head is about source and not authority. Um, it's family language. Yeah. Um, Paul is concerned about modesty and equality in the church. Yeah. 
um, and he doesn't want women to distract from the worshiping of God, but he also wants equality amongst the women and the men. So Paul also wants men to act like men and be separate from the world. Yep. Um, and the last thing here is head coverings are cultural. Yeah. They're cultural. Um, some people take them lit this literal here. Um, what Paul was doing is he was using an equalizing factor in the culture to bring equality within right. the church. So maybe what we need to ask kind of as our concluding question here is, in our culture, what are some things that we can do to create equality in the church? Yes. So what we don't want to do is make this all about this crazy head covering today. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I yeah. hear these churches that try to take this and apply it to standards for worship and things like that. And I, again, I would just say, be careful on not taking out of context, not building major doctrine out of something that's minor. What we're really looking at in the text is it was to this culture and it was very defined over mm -hmm. what's going on. So yeah. don't read too much into it and try to apply it to your church or your people or something yep. like that. Thanks. God bless you and keep you.